Overtime with your host, Coach Danielle McCartan. You can follow her work on Twitter at Coach McCartan. That's at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. All right, welcome everybody to 60 Minute Overtime, Fall 2017. This is episode two. Today's October, what, 22nd, 2017. And I'm your hostess, Danielle McCartan. I'm going to be with you guys for the next, I don't know, hour or so. Today's guest, I got a, a couple good ones up for you today. At 11.15 a.m., we're going to have Chris Sheeran. He's the studio host and field reporter for the Yes Network. As you know from being from this area, that's the Yankees Network and the Nets Network. He's also on the Chris Sheeran show podcast so he'll be up at 11 15 a.m asking him some important questions surrounding the yankees present and the yankees future keeping with the yankee theme i'll have my interview with yankee shortstop dd gregorius it's it's a throwback one but it's a good one because it's timely i mean he talks about leadership and taking over uh, for Derek jeter and what Derek jeter taught him about being a leader etc etc that'll be up after chris you can find my work ProSportsRundown.com. Someone's telling me to pack up my Yankee T-shirt. <laughs> I'm wearing right now an Aaron Judge T-shirt that I bought yesterday, hoping to wear it for a World Series, but they uh, they didn't make it. We'll get into that in a minute. So ProSportsRundown.com. Find me at uh, Coach McCartan on Twitter, M C C A R T A N. That is also all on YouTube, Coach McCartan, SoundCloud.com/slash Coach McCartan there too. Uh, iTunes podcast. Yep, I'm on iTunes. You can get this delivered right to your phone as soon as I upload it. You type in Coach McCartan. <laughs> They're on clearance today at Moe's. Actually, they were on clearance yesterday. They were $25 each. <laughs> uh, tune in radio. Uh, if you have that, it's under the show's name, 60 Minute Overtime, the full name, and play.google.com slash Coach McCartan. Video simulcast right now on Periscope. Give me a look over there on Periscope, Coach McCartan, and on Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan. And hey, and you. Uh, I, I know you guys are like a, uh, it's not shy to talk to me on uh, on social media, but uh, why don't you give me why don't you give me a call? Got something to say? Call the studio 201-825-1234. Oh, no, no. Just be careful, na-na Love ain't simple, na-na Promise me no promises Oh, na-na Just be careful, na-na Love ain't simple, na-na Promise me no promises That's right, the Yankees have no promises heading into next year. This is Cheat Codes, No Promises, featuring Demi Lovato. Yankees have no promises going into next year, and we'll get into that in a minute. Everybody keeps thinking that it's time to turn the page to next year, and it's going to be great. But who knows? Uh, here's Aaron Judge at his locker, courtesy of the Yes Network last night after the game, just talking about the season and and and, and the ALCS. Tough situation. Um, you know, being up a game and coming here and just one one away. You know, it's. It's tough to lose two like that, but well, this season's over now. It's just time to get ready for next year. So everybody seems to be uh, focusing on next year already. Well, let's talk about let's talk about last night first of all. Um, the, the Astros advanced to the World Series for the second time only in franchise history. 
They defeated the New York Yankees in Game 7 of the American League Championship Series last night. Uh, 4-0, the score was, and it was in Houston. They have uh, solidified their date with the L.A. Dodgers in the 2017 World Series. Listen, entering this series, each team uh, touted their their juggernaut-style offenses. Uh, People were expecting slugfests in every single game. I mean, I think I was too. The Astros entering ALCS play were averaging 5.52 runs per game. And then they ran into the New York Yankees. And then they started scoring an average of only 1.8 runs per game. But I think the turning point of the series for the Astros was Jose Altuve's home run to left field game six Friday night. I think that was the series dagger. Because McCann, Brian McCann, entering play last night, he was 0 for 20. The offense was just not there for the Astros, but they found a way to win uh, on the bats of Jose Altuve and their other stud. If I hear Joe Buck call him a stud one more time, Carlos Correa, shortstop, young guy. I think the Astros pitchers absolutely capitalized on the Yankees' Achilles heel. This lineup cannot hit a breaking ball. I said that on here last week, that Aaron Judge, especially during uh, warm-ups and batting practice, all week long should be just fed a steady diet of curveballs on the, the low outside corner of the plate. And, uh, and Billy D says the Yankees forgot to ship the bats to Houston. They did. They had one run in two games. And, and, and if Aaron Judge had been fed a steady diet of, of curveballs, and the rest of the team, but especially him, I think th- th- this could have gone somewhere. I-, I think he, you know, he's got to improve. He's he's got to do he's got to do better. He's just got to do better. I know we expect a lot out of him, but he's just got to do better. I mean, last night uh, when the Astros pitcher McCullers came in, he's a reliever for them. He threw fifty three pitches. Guess what? Forty one out of them were curveballs. Forty one out of fifty three pitches from the reliever. Or curveballs, off-speed pitches. And the Yankees still couldn't hit it. It's not like they weren't expecting it. They just couldn't hit it. They looked like they were embarrassed. They, they got embarrassed by the Astros pitching staff. They're sw- swinging at balls from their knees. How often does that happen so often in one game? What we learned, everybody, is that we learned that home field advantage is real. The Astros won at home. The Yankees won at home. Unfortunately for New York Yankees, the Astros had more home games in the ALCS. This stat astounded me. In the American League Championship Series, Jose Altuve and Carlos Correa hit 0.91 on the road. Batting average. Batting average for Altuve and Correa was 0.91 on the road at Yankee Stadium. They hit 500 at home. 500 at home. I think the Yankees looked defeated on the road for the last two nights in a row after that Altuve home run in in Game 6. You know, this team that prides itself on being so resilient, I think looked defeated. I think the donkey of the series, I'm going to go with Starlin Castro. He had errors that produced runs. He had a chance for 26 uh, chances for putouts. He only made 9. 
First time I ever see Aaron Judge swing at so many bad pitches. All year long, he's had a great eye. Maybe the moment just got to him. Maybe it was just too big. But again, Starling Castro, he had some errors that just produced runs. He had 26 total chances to throw runners out. He only he only made nine of them. He only threw nine guys out out of 26. And in an American League Championship Series, one game away from the World Series, you cannot have a 9-2-3 fielding percentage. I'm sorry, Starling Castro, but, but that's just not good enough. ALDS, 1,000. ALCS, 923. It's not going to cut it. And I, I actually thought, I really did think that that Aaron Judge sigh, I tweeted this and I talked about this on Twitter all week, when he was rounding first base in Game 3 after he hit that home run, I really thought that was going to be a turning point of the ALCS for the Yankees. And it did look to be. They won the next three. And then we all know what happened. Is the coach going to take the blame? Of course he is. He's a good manager. He's going to take the blame. But you have to look at how did they not hit a curveball? You have to look at how did Starling Castro have a 9-2-3 fielding percentage? You have to look at how is David Robertson so bad in Game 6 when he's been reliable all year pretty much. I also love the fact that Gary Sanchez would just, in Game 4, he was just out there hitting. He was just the DH. And as a former player, I know when I started playing varsity softball as a freshman, they started me in the DH position. They didn't put me at shortstop in, in the first uh, you know, week or two of the season. They wanted me to get acclimated to this. And I think that Joe Girardi made a great move in putting uh, Sanchez out there as the DH in Game 4. Because all he could think of is just hitting. You didn't have to worry about a game plan, a defensive game plan. There was less physical stress. And guess what happened? He hit the go-ahead run and an insurance run in, RBIs, in Game 4. I'm pretty good at this. But as a hitter, there's, you know, there's not, as only a hitter, you have only that to focus on. It's a, it's a little bit easier to deliver as a former player, I have to say. I think uh, Girardi should have put him as the DH in Game 7. I think the Yankees squandered a grand opportunity. I think last night's game was a torture to watch. I think this resilient team didn't look it the past two games. I felt like there was no hope for them. Like I said, after Jose Altuve's home run to left. Not a pinstriper show resilience as a wild card moment. Yes, I know. That's right. That's what I'm saying. After Jose Altuve hit that home run to left field in Game 6. I think hitters were thinking home run on every single pitch from the outset last night, and that is completely the wrong approach. They need base runners, and base runners score runs. I'm seeing a lot of tweets last night and this morning that they're happy that the Yankees got this far. Oh, well, you know what? Since when are Yankee fans complacent with the participation trophy? Because this is exactly what this is. Entering the season, the Yankees didn't know how far they would go. Judge was unproven. Bird was injured. Who was going to be the everyday catcher? Chase Headley was expected to be awful. Again, people were trying to run him out of town. There were major question marks for our starting pitching over there at the New York Yankees. Yes, the Yankees are playing with house money in the American League Division Series. And then, they won it. And all of a sudden, the lens changed. The Yankees were going to win the World Series and the path was through Houston. They had a legitimate shot to win and get to the World Series, and they would have, and they should have, but they didn't. And like Billy D just told me on Periscope, if you're not first, you're last. And I really think that if Gary Sanchez didn't literally drop the ball to throw out Altuve to score the game winner in Game 2, would have been Yankees in 6. On to the World Series, book your ticket to L.A. 
Since when the New York Yankees fans become complacent with just getting to where they got to and not winning the World Series? Like I said, they were playing with house money and then all of a sudden it changed. All of a sudden it changed. And there I see a lot of tweets also saying people can't wait for next year. The lineup is stacked for next year. You heard Aaron Judge talking about next year. Oh, I'm sorry. Where did you buy your crystal ball from? Because I'd like to get one of those too. Who knows about next year? Nothing is guaranteed. Tomorrow's not guaranteed. Look at the New York Mets. They were supposed to run this town this season with that starting pitching. And look what happened to them. I think Steven Matz was the only one that just made it through the season. Next year, the Yankees might have a new manager. We'll talk to Chris Sheeran about that in a couple minutes. What is their pitching rotation going to look like? Will aging CC be back? What about injury? Mike Trout's injury. Mike Trout's finger. One finger. Derailed the Angels' playoffs hopes. There are so many question marks that I'm not sure how you can turn the page to next year already. Right? How could you... How could you it's not going to be the same lineup. Is CC Sabathia going to be back? Is anybody going to get hurt? God forbid. In the past World Series track record, I want to show you this. 2013 World Series of Boston Red Sox, St. Louis Cardinals. Red Sox won the series. Following season, missed the playoffs. Cardinals made it to the NLCS that next year. Lost. 2014 World Series, Giants-Royals. Giants won the series and said, Following season, Giants missed the playoffs. The Royals did make it back to the World Series and ended up winning it. That is the anomaly here. That's the only anomaly I'm going to show you. 2015 World Series, the Mets against the Royals. Royals won, like I just said. Next year, they missed the playoffs. Following season, Mets went 87 and 75, lost to the Giants in the wild card playing game. And how can we forget last year? Cubs beat the Cleveland Indians in seven games. This year, the Indians lost to the Yankees in game five of the ALDS. The Cubs made it to the NLCS, but ended up losing to the Dodgers. Vegas, Las Vegas, had the Cubs as World Series favorites entering this year. So like I'm trying to say, you can't bank on next year. There is no next year. The Yankees had it. They had it in the glove or didn't have it in the glove of of Gary Sanchez in Game 2. The Yankees were supposed to go to the World Series this year, and who knows what would have happened there. But Yankee fans, you cannot be complacent with what you have and what you showed this year. You, you can't. You can't take the participation trophy this year. And shame on you for thinking that. I understand they have a good uh, farm system. I understand that. A strong, one of, I think, the strongest farm system in all of baseball. But you can't be complacent. All right, I have Chris Sheeran on the phone. Hi, Chris. How are you? Danielle, how are you? It's good to be with you. All right, Chris Sheeran is from the Yes Network. He's got a studio show there and a podcast, and he's a field reporter for also for the Yes Network. Chris, I don't know if you're just listening, but I can't stand that Yankee fans are accepting this this participation trophy for this season. What do you think? <laughs> um, I'm a little split. I'm right down the middle. I I'm not you know into the whole particip- participation trophy thing, and I think that whole way of thinking went out the window when the Yankees won game five and they went up 3-2 in the ALCS. You can't just sit back and say, well, we made it here. No, you were one win away from the World Series. Now, is this season a waste? No, absolutely not. It's a season that was supposed to be a quote-unquote 
rebuild. There are some people who call it a rebuild. I called it a transitional year. Uh, I had no idea that this team was going to get to a Game 7 in the ALCS. And if anybody out there thought this team was a World Series team, well, maybe besides Joe Girardi, I'd like to shake their hand and ask them to pick my Powerball numbers. Well, Chris, uh, I'm going to give you some Powerball numbers because I, I had them. I was in Las Vegas, and I put money on the Yankees to win the World Series this year. I did. So, all right, your numbers for Powerball are going to be eight. No, no I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Go ahead. No, I just I get where your fire is. I get where your intensity is. I completely understand where you're coming from. But at the same time, uh, what these players got, you know, Greg Bird, uh, Aaron Judge, Gary Sanchez, Didi Gregorius, you know, all these young guys uh, who made it this far, uh, they're battle tested now. Uh, they got a taste of it. They they saw the Astros celebrate in a lot of ways. Those negatives can turn into positives. You know, this makes you hungrier in the offseason. This makes you go into spring training wanting it more than you've ever wanted it because you got within a game of getting there. You know, I, I think a lot of people don't look at it that way. They just look at it as a loss and it stinks and we didn't make the World Series and yada, yada, yada. I look at it as, hey, we're one win away. Uh, we should have been there. We should have won. Our bats cannot take a dirt nap in the most important game of the year and you know i have to say this cc sabathia the, the vitriol some of the vitriol that i saw on twitter last night with, with him uh not having in uh cc sabathia start really gets under my skin because the yankees are not in that position without cc sabathia this postseason they're just not it, it, it that it's plain and simple and they're not there without his participation during the season the guy had 14 wins he tied for the team lead with Luis Severino, who was, a, who was an all-star, for, for crying out loud. So for people to want to, you know, put CC Sabathia on an island and cut it away from, you know, the Yankee universe, I don't, wanna, I don't want them as Yankee fans. This guy was key to the Yankees not only competing during the season, but getting to that Game 7, and, you know, I still play to this day, Danielle, uh, because I love the game. I play to, I, I pay to play, and uh, I have a, there's a league up here in Connecticut that I play in, and it's very competitive. And um, you know, to to be in that position, I, I get it. It's just baseball sometimes. You know, the bats go silent, but we say it all the time. If if our starting pitcher, who's a great pitcher on my team, you know, if he goes out there and he doesn't have his best stuff on a Sunday. It's the lineup's responsibility to pick him up because of the amount of times he's picked us up. And I feel so bad for CC Sabathia that the bats just, you know, they went away. And, and you can't be 3-for-30 in a Game 7, the most important game of your season. That was tough to watch, seeing the offense not be able to produce and seeing Greg Bird thrown out at home. I, you just know it, it's... You know, when Aaron Judge makes that catch, and I know I'm babbling, when he makes that catch, Danielle, you think something special is still happening with this team. He saves a run. He keeps the Astros off the board. But then when something like Greg Bird happens, when he gets thrown out at the plate, when you're down a run, then you're saying, well, maybe this, maybe the magic is running out. And it did. And it's a shame, but you look forward to 2018, and you lace them up again, and you're hungry, and you go after it again. You know, I was going to ask you about that. I, I think that was the turning point of the game. You got first and third, one out. You know, as, as the Yankees were hitting how they were hitting, t 
to send Bird home, and he's not no he's not a Brett Gardner type of speed. He's not fleet of foot. He was thrown out of the plate earlier in the series. Was that a call that he made on his own? That, no way, that, right? Yes, yes, yes. That was a read he made, and it was a bad read. Uh, it was a slow ground ball, but it was right to third base. Bregman has been playing out of his mind the entire postseason. Such a great job at third base. Uh, but let's face it, I mean, you could you could throw blame at Greg Bird. His team is down a run. It was a slow ground ball. He thought he could beat it. And you know what? Bregman had to make a perfect throw. And that throw, Danielle, I, I watched the replay again and again and again just to torture myself, I think. That throw couldn't have been in a more perfect place. It hit McCann's glove right where Bird was sliding. If that throw is up, Bird is safe, the game is tied, and as Michael Kay always says, you know, it's the fallacy of the predetermined outcome. You don't know what would have happened, but it would have been a different kind of game. Who knows what would – I think Joe Girardi went to – he stayed with CC a little bit too long. Uh, before he gave up that home run, I think he should have been out of the game. His stuff obviously was just not there last night. He didn't have his best stuff when he was walking off the mound. He said, my bad, guys, but that's when I, you know, I started saying to myself, and I tweeted – it's time to pick this guy up. He's lifted you guys up all season. Now it's your turn to pick him up, and the offense just didn't. And, and that bird getting thrown out at home, you're right. I think that was the turning point because once that happened, I think that, that, that's like getting punched in the solar plexus. That just lets everything out of you. Nothing is going your way. Yeah, the judge catch was great, but that gets erased by bird getting thrown out at home. Do you agree? I was on here last week keeping judge in the number two spot. And I look, I ran at his numbers through all the where he bats in the lineup. His numbers, comparatively, you know, are best in the sixth spot. Don't you think a young hitter in in a situation like that, with batting sixth, has a little less pressure on him and can exceed or excel in the sixth spot over the two? Well, you know, I, I think Joe Girardi. I think his thinking with all that is that uh, it worked so well during the season. He doesn't. He didn't want to change things up in the postseason, and he didn't want to take the confidence away from him because you get moved down. I know it takes pressure off you, but it does do something like, okay, why is he moving me down? Why am I going all the way down the six? You know, and then who's going to bat in the two hole? I mean, Chase Headley did during the regular season, and I know he batted three eighty nine in the ALCS, but you know, I don't know if you could throw him in the two hole uh, in that situation because you know. You're clogging up the bases. You want somebody speedy. And Judge, even though he's huge, he does have good speed for being as big as he is. The guy hit 52 home runs. You know, and if you get Gardner on, which you did in the game six, he let off with a single. You hope Judge gets into one. You know, that strategy works for you there. And I just don't think Joe Girardi wanted to change things because it worked so well during the season. And then he's overanalyzing, then he's overmanaging, and then people get over, you know, they get on him for that. Well, why did you move him? You know, it, it, can you imagine if you moved them to the six hole? It didn't work, and they lose game six and seven just like they did. Well, why did you move Judge? You know, it's classic Girardi overmanaging. He's damned if he does, and he's damned if he doesn't. I, I know where you're coming from, and I know Alex Rodriguez said the same thing. Judge belongs between, you know, through the four, through the six spot in the lineup. I, I think there's some truth to that. I think we may see that next year. But I just think Joe Girardi was sticking with what worked, and uh, unfortunately it didn't work. And uh, Joe Girardi, speaking of, his contract's up at the end of this year. Yeah. 
two, this is like an A and B, part A, part B. Will he be back next year, A? And if not, then who? Oh, wow. Well, I, I think it all depends on Joe. I mean, it's up. To, I, I really believe it's up to him if he wants to come back. I, I think the Yankees are going to offer him, uh, if I were to guess, uh, and this is just speculation on my part, but if I were to guess, I, I would think Hal Steinbrenner offers him at, at least another three-year deal, two- to three-year deal to come back, and it's, it's going to be on Girardi whether he wants to accept it or not. The, the job he's done since he's been here, and I know, uh, you know they, they've won one World Series in his tenure, which is 10 years, uh, but he's my dad, Danielle, growing up, used to say, uh, you can't make chicken salad out of chicken blank. And uh, Joe Girardi has made a lot of chicken salad out of a lot of chicken blank with this team. He's had to deal with a lot of injuries, and they've never had a losing season. This season, uh, look at Sports Illustrated. Look at all these you know, professional prognosticators. No one had this team where they were, where they ended up. And also... Uh, this was the first year that the Yankees were supposed to have a losing season since, oh, God, what was it, 1990, 1991, 1992, something like that. So for them to go out there, and, and here's the other thing. I know I'm going off on tangents on this Girardi question, but they were a 91-win team. They had 23 blown saves, Danielle, 23. You take five of those out, you know, you take ten of those out, they're still a 100-win team. You know, they could have been another one of these 100-win teams if the bullpen would have just done their job in certain situations. So I don't see how you don't entertain bringing this guy back because it goes to your B part of the question, and that is, if not him, who? All right, Yankee fans, you hate Joe Girardi. Who are you bringing in? Who's it going to be? You want Dusty Baker? You want John Farrell, Dusty Baker, who can't win a, a playoff series, can't win a World Series? That's who you want to bring in here? You want to bring in uh, John Farrell, who did win with the Red Sox, but he's, he's got, he had some issues in the clubhouse? You want your clubhouse to go to crap and, and bring him in here? I, I don't know who you want. I mean, whoever takes that job, Danielle, if Joe Girardi is not back, whoever takes that job, you know it as well as I do. They are going to take constant flack from fans because they didn't do this or they didn't do that. Everybody in football has that Monday morning quarterback, well, I would have done this. Well, it's easy to say that when you're not in the heat of the moment on a Sunday. Guys make mistakes sometimes. They admit it. They cop to it. I think the Yankees are in great hands if they bring Joe Girardi back into the fold. And I know Yankee fans, a lot of them, probably hear that and they want to throw me through a plate glass window, but I think he is their best chance to win. He's a great man. He's a great manager. Great man first. Great manager. Uh, he might go into the binder one too many times, and he might overmanage from time to time. But this guy has squeezed more wins out of this franchise than they were supposed to get through his 10 years as manager. And I can guarantee you that, that they would have less wins uh, if that guy wasn't on that bench in certain situations with this club. And they, they would be fools to not bring him back. And they say that the uh, the team always takes on the characteristics of the coach or the manager, and I just think that I agree with you. I think that the resiliency of this team is due partly because of Joe Girardi and the way hey, he managed them. They, they after that game two not challenge, you know, the foul tip that turned out to be the hit batsman, and then the grand mm -hmm. slam by Lindor. 
they, this team could have folded up like a cheap suit and been done in three against the Indians. They showed you that they had their managers back. And you heard Joe Girardi say it. After that game, Todd Frazier just screamed, let's go. And it's something Joe Girardi said he would never forget. His third baseman screaming that at the top of his lungs. He knew his team had his back. He knew that they weren't going to give up. He knew that they were going to continue on to fight. And that's what you want to see. That's what you want to see. If they just folded up and they lost to the Indians, yeah, I would say maybe it's time for a new voice. And it might be time for a new voice, but I don't think you need to go away from Joe Girardi. And let's not forget, too, Danielle, this wasn't his team when he took over. Let's be honest. Derek Jeter was still there. Alex Rodriguez was still there. You know, he had all these seasoned veterans in that clubhouse. This is his team. When Derek Jeter retired, this became Joe Girardi's team. No one really looks at that, but it's the truth. And he's been able to take these young kids and mold them. And if he can continue to mold them and continue to bring these other youngsters along, because, you know, this is just the tip of the iceberg. We've scratched the surface with the talent that's in this franchise right now at every level. You're talking about the Trenton Thunder making it, make, making it to back-to-back championship series. You're talking about the Scranton uh, Rail Riders making it to back-to-back championship series, and they won the international title last season. There is a lot of depth in this organization right now. I, 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 I think I tend to know Joe Girardi a little bit better than the average Yankee fan, and I think he sees what this franchise has to offer him going forward. And I think he's going to – the fact that they didn't win this title, they didn't get to the World Series, I think that's going to leave a bad taste in his mouth. He is a competitor. He loves this team. He loves these guys. And I would be shocked if the Yankees offered him a contract and he didn't come back now. If they won the World Series, he could have went out as a champion and he could have said to the guys, hey, you know – good luck the rest of the way, and he could have been fine with it because he would have won with them. I think he looks at this now, and, and this is just me speculating, but I, if I know him, I think he looks at it as unfinished business. I still have work to do here. He was raised, his, his mother and father raised him to finish the job. He, he's not done. I, I just really, truly believe he's not done with these guys and this, this group of players and I think he's going to take the responsibility to come back if he's allowed to with the organization, if they offer him the deal. I think he'll come back, and I think he'll get these guys where they need to be. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so some quick uh, quick hits here. You know, mm-hmm. the biggest the biggest guys in the lineup I, I just went through, um, what do they, in your opinion, have to work on this offseason? One thing. One thing for Aaron Judge. What does he need to focus in on this offseason? He needs to go back to where he was in April. He was very disciplined at the plate. He lost himself, as we all know, in August. He, he picked it back up in September, July and August after the uh, home run derby. He picked it back up in September. He hit 250 in this ALCS. But, Danielle, I think the biggest issue with him is the strike zone. And, and I think he has to get, you know, he has to adjust to pitching. The umpires are continually adjusting to him and whenever there's a different umpire back there there's a different strike zone he just though has to be more like he was in the beginning of the season laying off that outside 
breaking ball, that outside slider, especially when he's behind in the count. He has to be more disciplined in his plate appearances. But I think overall, what he did this year was above and beyond everybody's expectations. Let me ask you a question. I'm going to turn it around on you right now. If someone were to tell you in spring training that Aaron Judge was going to bat 284 with 52 homers and 114 RBI, what would you have said? No way. No way. There's just no, no would way. You have, would you have signed for that? Would you have said, oh, yeah, I'll take that in a heartbeat? Of course. And, and I know he struck out you know, 208 times, but he walked 127 times. His on-base percentage was 422. He had an OPS of one thousand uh, forty-nine, and the slugging percentage is six twenty-seven. This guy was all-world. He was an all-star. Uh, just an unbelievable season. And if anybody were to tell me that he was going to put up those numbers, he hit for. I know it's two, it's under three hundred, but it's two eighty-four. He hit for average. He hit for. Power. He drove in runs. He walked. And we said it all year on the S Network. When this guy comes to the, pl- to the plate, it's must-see TV. And it was. So the one thing he has to work on is his plate discipline. I, it's just a constant, and you hear managers say it all the time, Danielle, it's a constant uh, battle. It's constant adjustments. The league adjusts to you. You have to readjust to the league. And that's what he has to keep doing throughout his entire career because pitchers are going to try to pitch him differently. You saw him come inside and bust him in. He didn't have a great season against the Red Sox, um, but you saw how certain staves started to work against him, and he just has to see that it's a chess match. He has to see their move before they're going to do it, and he has to react. Uh, I think he's going to be fine. I think he's going to be locked in for a very long career with the Yankees. Uh, I don't know if he's going to hit 52 every season, and fans can't think he's going to hit 52 every season, but uh, I think the Yankees have found a right fielder for uh, the next decade plus. All right. Gary Sanchez, I think his defense is subpar uh, as a uh, defensive catcher. I would, I would agree with you, yeah. Um, here, it, it was night and day. I mean, Austin Romine, I'm not saying Austin Romine is, is Johnny Bench by any stretch of the imagination, but if 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 you know baseball and, and, and you watch Romine receive pitchers, it's just night and day to Gary Sanchez. It is. It, it, it's plain and simple. Um, his defense has to get better. His positioning has to get better. Uh, I've talked to John Flaherty about this uh, countless amounts of times, former catcher himself. Uh, he believes the same thing. We saw Joe Girardi working with him in the, du- in the dugout after a couple of pass balls earlier in the season. It's just something he's got to take this offseason. His hitting is fine. I mean, he doesn't have to worry about his hitting. Uh, but you're right. He, he's got to get better behind the plate. He's got to be a better receiver. He's got to frame pitches better, and he's got to have better mechanics when he's going after balls to block it. And, and one of the main things that really uh, stuck out was CC Sabathia's first start in the ALCS in Game Three. He he was ahead in the game, and he threw a pitch, and it was on the inside part of the plate, and it just popped out of Sanchez's mitt, and it was called a ball. And I truly believe if he caught it and framed it, it would have been a strike. And CeCe kind of just looked in and smiled at him. I, if, if that was a tight game, I think CeCe would have had a different expression on his face. Uh, I just think he has to get better. I, I really do. And, and that's Tony Pena's job. Um, and, and that's if that whole regime gets uh, 
brought back into the fold if Girardi. Tony Pena's job is to get him to be better behind the plate. Tony Pena was a great defensive catcher, and he's gonna he has his work cut out for him with Sanchez because if his defense doesn't improve, I don't see how you can keep him behind the plate. Uh, you know, you, you hear people talk about it all the time. If it doesn't get better, he's a DH. He, he you know, you know what I mean. He 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 can't be that lax behind the plate and stay behind the plate. Oh, yeah, he's a liability. And, you know, I actually tweeted about that smile, that, that CC Sabathia smile. I, I tweeted that night. I said, you guys wouldn't be laughing if this game was close. Exactly. And you and, you and I were on the same page. We, if, if they did not have the lead in that game, that would have ticked CC Sabathia off, and that wouldn't have been a smile. That would have been a glare in, not only at the umpire, but at Sanchez. Now we have Brett Gardner who is one of the, the elder statesmen of the Yankees, he, in my opinion, is no longer a threat on the Bates Pass. He does not strike fear in anybody uh, as a threat to steal. Is that something he's got to work on this offseason, or what do you think? Uh, as you get older, and he's 33, uh, as you get older, that's not really something you could work on. Uh, you don't get faster as you get older. You start to get slower as you get older. Case in point, I could point to myself. Um, but he's got next year's his last year under contract. They got a team option for 2019 for 12 and a half million that they could uh, they could uh, put into play there if they so want to in 2019. But next year is the last year of his deal. Um, I don't know. I, 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 if he didn't strike fear into opposing teams this year on the base pass. Uh, I, I don't see how he's going to strike fear next year. He he did go up in steals. He had 23 uh, this season as opposed to 16 last season. But especially in the postseason, you saw it in Game 6. He let off the game with a single. Uh, just no movement on the base pads, though. And, you know, it's, yeah, i got to bring this up, too, uh, because if I don't, I'm a phony. Uh, and I know I'm going away from Gardner for a second ahead, here. Go ahead. You asked me, but... First and third, that situation with Frazier up, and you're down one nothing. Um, I'm I'm completely old school. I know the Yankees don't quote unquote believe in the bunt. Bunt. Yep. But I am so beside myself being involved in baseball my entire life and hearing people just totally poo-poo, you know, a squeeze play. That's not who they are. They, you know, they want a three-run homer. That's not what they think. I mean, you're down one nothing in the ALCS. You have a guy 90 feet away. You have a guy in Todd Frazier who I'm pretty sure knows how to bunt. If Greg Bird breaks and he's able to lay down a bunt, the game is tied. I, I know you're sacrificing. You're giving it out, but you're gaining a run. You're tying the game. You're, you're, you're putting your team in a mindset now. We're not chasing. We're tied. It's a new game. So I just I don't understand that thinking. And I know there will be people out there that say, I don't understand what they're trying to do, and I don't understand you know, the metrics and everything else. I don't want to hear it. Here's my metric. 90 feet away, one out, you're down one nothing. Lay down a bunt and tie the game. Get your team in a better mindset. You're not trailing anymore. You're tied. I don't know how you feel, Danielle. I'm 44 years old. I've been playing this game my whole life. I've been around this game my whole life. When a team has needed a run when I was growing up, they manufactured a run. And look, look at the old school Cardinals when Roger Maris went from the Yankees to the Cardinals. 
That's what they did. They manufactured runs. They got on the board. They laid down a bunt. They pulled the ball to the right side to get to get the guy to third, and then they either hit a sacrifice fly or they were uh, they were suicide squeezing them in to get a run. I, I just don't understand it, and I don't expect you to do it in game fifty of the regular season, but in game seven of the ALCS, when you're down a run, you have a guy ninety feet away. Um, that just doesn't make any sense to me. It's it doesn't. It's textbook Sorry. baseball. It is, and and I'm 29, and again, I've been playing baseball. Or I actually play baseball too, and softball. Uh, since I was in T-ball. And, and what also drives me nuts, i got to ask you because I, I think I already know what you're going to say. How do these guys not have the ability to hit out of the shift? What the <laughs> heck? How do you not? How do you? How, I mean, come on. Am I, did my dad get on the phone? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's inexcusable. Like, these guys, they have, yeah. they have not one fielder, let's just say, on the left side of the field. And they can't even, like you they can't even lay down a bunt. A bunt would be a single in that situation. When it's I, it's, when it's I, ridiculous. Yeah, when I go to the cages, when I still work in the cage, I, um, I, I, you know, I get like ten tokens or whatever, and I'm sure you do the same thing. And the first wave, like the first, I guess three tokens, I'm pulling the ball. The second three, I'm trying to hit it back up the middle, and the last three or four, I'm waiting and I'm hitting to the opposite field. I'm I'm trying to hit to all fields. I'm trying to time it. I'm trying to do all that stuff. So, you know, for especially announcers, this is my dad, by the way. The announcers will will wax poetic about someone being able to foul a pitch off and saying he meant to do that. Oh, well, if he meant to do that, how about him meaning to go the other way and beat the shift? It drives him insane so i feel i feel you i'm right there with you too if if i was up in the batter's box you know you have a different two strikes you have a different approach okay especially with the situations you're trying to hit behind the runner you're trying to if you have a guy on second uh you're trying to hit it to the right side you're trying to get him to third uh if if i'm up there and i see that shift I am waiting as long as I can. I'm looking for an outside pitch, and I'm just going to poke it to that side. I just, I don't understand it. I never will. I never have, and I never will. And my father, it drives him absolutely insane. Unbelievable. All right, well, we have the, the stage is set. Dodgers, Astros, World Series. What's your prediction? Let's go Dodgers. <laughs> I'm a little bitter. Uh, I, I, you know, I just think... Uh, I was on with Sid Rosenberg on his his uh, podcast before the championship series started. I took the Cubs in six. I took the Yankees in seven. I, I, I am not good at predictions, I guess. But um, <laughs> the Dodgers, I said to him, I remember saying this to him, it's the reason why I picked the Cubs. I was like, you know what? Show me. Prove it to me. Win something. How, how many times have you been here and you haven't won? I, I just have a sneaking suspicion and a gut feeling it, it's the Dodgers' turn. I do. I know the Astros are good. I know Verlander has been reborn again. Uh, it's like he dove into uh, the fountain of youth, and uh, he's discovered uh, pitching again down in Houston. Uh, and the Yankees, they could have had him too. I mean, he was out there. He was there for the taking. Astros were the ones that ponied up the prospects to get him, though. And, uh, you know, now they're reaping the benefits. But I, with that, I, I'm kind of glad the Yankees stood pat and went with what they had. Uh, they, they, they probably saved Justice Sheffield and a couple other arms that they had in their farm system. So that's a good thing that that didn't happen. I just think uh, this, this group of Dodgers, 
it's their time. And if I were to have to pick it in games, I would say, you know what, I think this is going to be a classic between two great teams. I'll, I'll say Dodgers in seven. Dodgers in seven. All right, you heard it. All right, well, I just want to thank you for your time today. That was great. I know it was a late-night loss, and everybody's a little dejected today, but I, I just want to say uh, thank you for coming good. on. This, yeah, this is therapeutic, Danielle. It's very cathartic just to get all the venting and the frustration out, you know, and then I think Yankees Twitter tweeted out that it's 158 days to opening day, so not a lot of time. It'll be here before you know it. All right, thanks, Chris. And Chris Sheeran is the studio host, Phil Reporter for the Yes Network. You also have the Chris Sheeran Show podcast, right? That comes. You're going to be doing that in the off season too, I assume. Uh, I, probably not, because we talk about basketball and football, and people just tell us to talk about Yankees 24/7. I'm thinking about just bringing this uh, to a Yankee thing and ramping it up in January and and doing it like that. So it'll probably come back in January as a, a full time Yankee podcast from January. Hopefully through November next year. <laughs> well, hopefully hopefully you're right. All right, thanks. I appreciate it. You got it, Daniel. Have a great one. You too. Bye. Bye. And uh, and I also had predicted the Yankees to be seven games. Just I, I, th- I thought that series was going to go seven games. Just I thought the Yankees were going to pull it out. And here's Joe Girardi about uh, losing to the Astros and, and whether, he's, whether or not he's going to be coming back, courtesy of the S yes Network. Do you want to be a part of this? I love what I do, Andrew. You know, and, and I've always said the first thing that, that I do is I always talk to my family first. They come first. And because I think, uh, you know, when you have a job, I mean, your family has to, has to buy in, too. It's not just what you want out of life. It's, it's everyone buying in. So I'll sit down and talk to my wife and my kids and see where they're at and what they're thinking. And and then we'll see what the Yankees are thinking. Um, that's not my concern right now. Um, I mean, you know, I've, I've had 10 great years here. I, I feel extremely blessed. God has been good to me. Um, and we'll see what the future holds. And we'll take your phone calls after the break. Mm. Hi. Hi. What's this for dinner? We're having beef stew. Oh, uh, okay, Google. Show me pictures of beef stew. Pictures of beef stew. Ragout. No. Si, ragout. No, it's not bolognese. It's, um, okay, Google. How do you say beef stew in French? Ragout de bœuf. Ragout. Ragout de bœuf. Voilà, voilà. Oui? Oui. <laughs> What do you call a carrot? Carrot. The same. Just the same, yeah. You're at a restaurant just after a meal. <clears throat> the bill comes. Sir, here's your bill. Oh my gosh, it's a whopping amount. <gasps> you pass it on to the next person. He. He passes it on. He? And on. We. Nobody likes unpleasant surprises. Well, why should you? With the new Hut's Delight Meals, you won't get any just pure value enjoy your favorites every day from pizzas pastas to sides and drinks from as low as 14 ringgit per person available for dine-in only so so i had talked to one of the most underrated yankee players uh on this current team and his name is dd gregorius and he filled some huge shoes in Derek jeter's departure obviously Derek jeter is uh Probably the best Yankee to ever wear the uniform. So I talked to him about, you know, a couple things that came back into play. This is an older interview. This is from August 25th of 2016, so over a year old. Uh, but Didi Gregorius in the 2017 playoffs, he batted 277. He had three home runs, seven RBI, and 24 total bases. And I think a lot of the times he does get overlooked. Uh, 
as to what he is to this team. Um, so here's myself and Didi Gregorius talking about just some uh, some relevant stuff still on October 22nd, 2017. Didi, I have a lot of kids here all seeing you. What is it like for you to have all these kids here and, and, and waiting to be coached by you? I mean, for me, I always look at it this way, you know, uh, I always look at it when I was their age, I always wanted somebody, you know, in front of big leagues and come and talk to me, you know, teach me the way to play the game. So for me, it's just amazing just to be here. For me, it's not about wearing my shirt, but, you know, it's just for me, it's just the clinic, you know, get to talk to the kids, let them get to know me a little bit better, you know, show people like what I do off the field too. So it's uh, really big here to just talk to all these kids. It's amazing. So at this pro camp, what do you expect these kids to take away? What do I expect to take away? I mean, everything, you know, uh, like whatever, because I sit down and talk to them, you know, I introduce myself, you know, tell them a little bit about what I do. And uh, for me, it's just, uh, you know, it's experience, because you always got to start at, at that age. And I, I remember when I, when I was this age, too, and uh, it's just it's just a great opportunity, you know, to be here and, and get to learn as much as you can. So who did you idolize growing up? Growing up in Amsterdam, yeah. who was your favorite player? Uh, I had a lot, actually. I had Ken Griffey, I had Derek Jeter, I had uh, Barry Bonds, oof, I had Pookie Reese. I mean, uh, it's basically just everybody that played in the big leagues, you know, because uh, as a kid, as a dream, you always want to come, wanna, wanted to see it in life when you get older. And yeah. for me now that I'm here, I'm going to pass it on to the kids, too, you know, so okay. they get something to look up to, you know, it's uh, something really important for me. So, um, you know, every time you come to the bat at Yankee Stadium, I always see born in Amsterdam. Yeah. What is the story behind that? I always wondered. I was, because uh, I was born in Amsterdam? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, my dad was playing, uh, my dad was playing professional baseball in the Netherlands, and my mom was playing softball in the Netherlands, mm -hmm. and I was born there, so I lived there for five, five, six years, and then I moved to Curacao, and then, then I kept going with baseball since it's a family thing for me. Yeah, you know, your mom played on the national team, too. It's genetic, you think? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, are there any differences between Dutch baseball and American baseball, or is it mostly the same game? Uh, I'm different by talent-wise. I think that's the only thing that's a okay. big, big difference. But because uh, you know you don't play a lot in the cold weather, so yeah. it's, uh, that's what it is over there. It's snowing almost every year, so I mean every every month. But I mean, you get more here, you develop more here, and, and that's the that's the way I look at it. Yeah. So, um, what is your favorite part? You were also on the Dutch national team. What is the best part, looking back, about being on that team? I mean, just just uh, all of us getting together. That's uh, one of the biggest part for me. You know, uh, all the professional guys coming back here right. and um, play for the Dutch team. And you know, we always play play really good. So that's what we wanted to do. And um, you uh, speak four languages. Yes. What are they? Dutch, English, Spanish, and Papiamento. So, what is the advantage of speaking all four of those languages <laughs> in the MLB? Uh, I mean, uh, getting to translate a little bit for some of the guys too. Yeah. That's a uh, that's a fun part about it too. You know, and get to. Uh, Get to talk to everybody on the field, actually. That's uh, the best part of the game right there. So, Didi Gregorius, shortstop, coach, and now translator. <laughs> Anybody looking for a translator? Um, so, your first MLB home run came as a Diamondback at Yankee Stadium. Yep. Is that a little ironic to you? I mean, <laughs> it is, but, you know, uh, for me, I would just look at it. You know, it's an uh, amazing, amazing opportunity for me. You know, just uh, get in the big leagues, be in the big leagues again, and hit a home run at Yankee Stadium, then a couple years later get traded to play in the Yankees. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, get a chance to hit it as a visiting and now as a home team. So now, speaking of home runs, now the MLB, it's true, they're thinking about adding pitchers to the home run derby. What do you think about that? Adding pitchers to the home run derby? Yeah. I mean, if they want to do it, they can do it, but I don't know what to say about that. So do you have, it's their, their choice. So who do you think, if, if you could make a guess, who would you put your money on? 
I have no clue to be honest. <laughs> I have no clue to be honest. Coming to New York, um, taking over for Derek Jeter, what was it like to take over the captain's shoes? Uh, well, I always tell everybody this, you know, uh, I'm trying to, I'm not trying to fill in his shoes, you know, he did everything he did in 20 years, his stuff a career, you know, everybody's an icon here in New York. Right. I mean, I'm just here to try to play my game, so I'm not trying to try to be him, but, you know, it's just here to try to play the game, you know, be the best me that I can be when I go out there and, and try to be a better player. So you started a little rough in New York, you've on fire, you've been on fire. How did you overcome the, the, that difficulty, those challenges? I mean, it's, for me, it was just getting to know the league and uh, knowing the pitchers what they try to do with you and uh, try to stay with, start to stay with your plan and try to follow in everybody else's plan. And, and that's what helped me, you know. And I had all the veteran guys with me, too. So that's uh, one thing that really helped me and prepared me for the game. So what um, what advice did Derek Jeter give you when he left and you took over? What was the best piece of advice he gave you? Just try to be yourself. Don't try to do too much. Just play the game, and, and you'll be fine. Very cool. Um, so now this season, you've gone from being one of the youngest guys on the team quite quickly to being one of the leaders on the team. How have you embraced that leadership role? I mean, I always look at it, you know, we always want to help everybody. You know, I've been helped a lot, so mm -hmm. why not just pass it on helping other people, you know, because you're a team. You want everybody in your team to succeed. So right. uh, that's how I look at it. You know, if you want, you want to push everybody in the right way and try to get the best foot forward, I mean, that's how you want to be in the game. So you want to help everybody out. Sometimes you need help, too. So uh, yeah. they come and talk to you. So it's just uh, everybody's helping each other out. That's what I want. So the baby bombers, and we're talking Judge, Sanchez, uh, and Austin. What advice have you give, given them? What advice? I mean, just play the game. You know, they've been having a really good year in the minor leagues, and so right. why try to why try to change it when you make it to the big leagues? You know, right. just try to try to stay consistent, do your own thing, and then be ready every game. So you and I were both at the '96 Dynasty game. I was in the I was in the bleachers, though. You were on the field. What is the impact of seeing the '96 reunion? Just you know, on the field with those guys, the start of that dynasty. I mean, it's 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 awesome. You know, just uh, you know, you see those guys play and how they did everything and. It's just unbelievable. Now you get to see them again and interact and talk with them, you know, uh, yeah. picking their brains a little bit. That's why I tell everybody, you know, you got to pick their brains if you want to get better in the game. So you got to talk to everybody. So whose brain did you pick? Almost everybody. You know, <laughs> whoever I had a chance to talk to, I talked to. So it's yeah. not a, just one person. I talked to everybody. So are the Yankees poised for a playoff run in 2016? I mean, we're still fighting. We're not giving up. That's the one yeah. thing I think everybody should know that we don't give up. we got to play hard every day. So um, I learned a little bit of Dutch on my own. Thank you is Don Cuvel. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, so Daniel McCartan with DD Gregorius at Pro Camps. Thank you so much. Have fun today. Thank All you. Right, thank you. Thank you very much. I'm Daniel McCartan with <laughs> All right, and we're back after this. As a man, you know what it's like to break your back on a daily basis. Introducing new Bud Silver, the beer for hardworking men. It's just what you need after a day of assembling flat pack furniture, when instructions are cast aside in favor of intuition. Working with one eye on the job and another on the TV. A day when you're told it looks a bit wonky at least 40 times. Hardworking men want a fuller-tasting, thirst-quenching beer. New Bud Silver. One cold can of You Bet I Earned It. Sixteen minutes over time. Hurry up, offense with Danielle McCartan. Hi, everybody. The Los Angeles Dodgers defeated the Chicago Cubs 11-1 to advance to the World Series Thursday this past Thursday night. Enrique Hernandez, Kiki Hernandez, led the Dodgers and had three home runs on the night, racking up seven RBIs from a generator-powered TV in Puerto Rico. 
Clayton Kershaw pitched a gem, allowing three hits in one earned run in six innings. The Dodgers won the series four games to one. The Houston Astros defeated the New York Yankees, as we all know, in Game 7 of the ALCS last night for Zip. Jose Altuve and Evan Gaddis each had a home run. As a starting pitcher for the Astros, Charlie Morton only allowed two hits in five innings pitched. For the Yankees, CC Sabathia allowed five, hit, five hits and one earned run in 3.1 innings pitched. The Astros won the series 4-3. The Los Angeles Dodgers will face the Houston Astros in Game 1 of the World Series at home on Tuesday night, 8.09 p.m. on Fox. On Friday night, the Devils lost to the San Jose Sharks 3-0. They are now 6-2 on the season and will not play their next home game until Friday, October 27th versus the Ottawa Senators. This game will be on MSG Plus at 7 p.m. On Saturday afternoon, the Rangers improved to 2-5-2 after a 4-2 win over the Nashville Predators. Fost, Kreider, Hayes, and VC each scored a goal for the Rangers. The Rangers' next game will be at home against the San Jose Sharks Monday night, 7.30 p.m. on the MSG Network. The Brooklyn Nets are now 1-1 on the season after defeating the Orlando Magic 126-121 on Friday night. Nets guard Jeremy Lin is out for the season. After he ruptured his patellar tendon on Wednesday night in the team's first game, the team's first game of the season, Lynn had season-ending surgery Friday morning. The Nets will host the Atlanta Hawks at home today at 3:30 p.m. on the Yes Network. The New York Knicks, Carmelo Anthony lists this season have started the season at 0-2 after a loss to the Pistons last night. 111-107. Their next game will be in Boston on Tuesday night against the Celtics. Tip-off is at 7.30 on the MSG Network. I'm Danielle McCartan, and this was your 60-minute overtime hurry-up offense. Hey, Thirst, can I try out a few Coke Summer sound effects on you? Yes. Cool. You okay with this? Yes. And this? Yes. And what about this? Yes. <laughs> gotcha there, Thirst. That wasn't sound effects. That was a Coke. I'm no longer thirsty. You're so out of here. Coca-Cola. Open happiness. This is Brandon Marshall, wide receiver of the New York Jets, and you're listening to the 60-minute overtime on WRPR. Oh yeah, the Giants are living on a prayer this week in NFL Week Seven action. Uh, take your phone calls. Uh, let me. Let's go into a little bit about the Seahawks at the New York Giants. We're going to take your phone calls and your tweets at Coach McCartan and your Periscope messages. Here's the number to call in. Don't be shy. Got something to say? Call the studio 201-825-1234. Oh, yeah, so the Giants, like I said, are living on a prayer. They are one in a lot. <laughs> um, I, I'm particularly ticked about the Giants because I had 
Uh, as you know, every year I'm in a survivor pool, and this year I finally did one for money. And uh, I had the Broncos. After last week's show, I was riding high. I had the Broncos beating the Giants that game. And I just have this strange feeling that that is going to be the only win that the New York Giants have all year is going to be that win against the Broncos. And it was just, I couldn't even watch it. I don't even know what happened in that game because every time I turned it on, I looked at the score, I turned it off. I was just so incredulous as to how the Giants were beating the Denver Broncos. And the answer was with the running game. The Broncos had the best running defense in the NFL going into that game. And Arlene's Darkwa had a hundred over a hundred yard rush for I think the first time in, in maybe ever, <laughs> honestly. And it was just out of six hundred and six people originating in that in that pool, fifty five were left. Okay, so fifty five were left and the twenty two people also had the Broncos. Now it sounds like thirty, whatever. So today, I'm not over it yet. I'm really not. The Giants are uh, four-point underdogs. And they were, and by the way, they were 12.5-point underdogs last week. Just just throwing that out there. They are four-point underdogs today. But, you know what, I'm just going to rip that up. Who cares? Who, what does that even matter, really? Um, again, we'll take your phone calls, 201-825-1234. And I keep saying we. It's just me. It's just me. Yes, I did go against New York, and I should have learned my lesson because I had two entries in that pool. I lost when I picked the Broncos over the Giants, and earlier in the season I lost when I picked the Dolphins over the Jets. Mm, And the Jets surprised us all by beating the Dolphins that game. So I'm going to give you a quick Giants keys to the game. If you do these three things, they will win. I'm going to leave you with my prediction at the end. We'll get into your Jets, uh, Jets Jets-Dolphins matchup. Again, call in. Love to hear from you. Number one, keys to the game. <laughs> Someone said, I'm bad luck. No. Well, yeah, maybe I am. Giants, keys to the game. Number one, Jason Pierre-Paul and the Giants pass rush. The Giants need to take advantage of the worst offensive line in the NFL in the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, their left guard is recovering from knee surgery. They're starting left guard. So that is going to be a, a point of emphasis. Hopefully on the on the Giants defensive line, they've uh, allowed 22. The Giants have allowed 22 points per game, which is you know sort of high, uh, you know especially against a team like uh, like the Seahawks that do have guys like um, the Russell Wilson that can just make things happen. Uh, the Giants must also was actually push put the pressure on Russell Wilson. They got to force him to throw the ball. Uh, they got to contain him, and they got to let him if they're going to lose. They're going to lose to Russell Wilson throwing the ball because if Russell Wilson sees the light of day on that defense, it's going to be a very, very long day for the Giants' defense. Um, So force Russell Wilson to throw the ball, not to run it. Seahawks beat the Giants last year 23-0, and they picked off Eli Manning five times last time. Eli has not thrown an interception in four straight games, which is quite incredible. It's the longest streak of his long career in New York Giants blue. But Coach Ben McAdoo wants Eli to be aggressive in today's game. He's got to limit the turnovers, and he's got to, if he's going to make a turnover, obviously it can't lead to points on the other team, and herein lies the Giants' defense yet again. Uh, They did a good job against Trevor Simeon last, uh, last week. I did happen to see live... On TV, I did happen to see the Janoris Jenkins interception, pick six, return for a touchdown. I think that's when I turned it off for good. Uh, I was rooting for the, the Broncos, all right, everybody? Odell Beckham's still out. Uh, I'm not sure what the deal is with Sterling Shepard. I think he's going to be in for today, but even still, Brandon Marshall's also out. The Giants got the guy that they wanted in the draft, Evan Ingram, and uh, this is such a big stage for him. He needs to get open today. 
He's the healthiest pass catcher on the team right now. He's a tight end, but he, he functions like a slot receiver. He's going to be closely covered. Uh, the Broncos uh, tried to cover him man-to-man, but he'll, he had five catches, 82 yards, and the first touchdown of the Giants. And I know that because the guy I was playing in fantasy had him on his team. I was praying for a Giants touchdown to anybody except for him. Of course, Eli went to him in the corner of the end zone. Cam Chancellor is probably going to be the assignment. Uh, he's going to have the assignment for Ingram. Uh, but in order for the Giants to put points on the board, Ingram must find a way to get open. He has game-changing speed. He is deadly in the open field. And uh, and uh, I think he's going to be uh, an X-factor for today, Evan Ingram. Also, the Giants running game, I didn't mention this, but the Giants running game has to at least be there, be present. Because if it's not, and again, I say this every week, the Giants if forcing Eli Manning to throw the ball 55, 60, un- a ridiculous amount of times per game, that's going to be bad news for them. Uh, how the Seahawks are going to win today's game. They're going to watch for the Giants' running game. The Gi- uh, By the way, the Broncos, are the, like I said, the best running defense ever uh, of the season, and the Giants kind of cut them up. So I'm a little nervous about the Seahawks' defensive line, but they got to watch for this Giants' running game. It's a resurgent. It's revitalized. And the Giants are, are going to be without, like I said, Odell and Brandon Marshall. But even with Evan Ingram leading the team in receiving yards, the Giants are going to rely heavily on the run game. They responded last week. They had 32 carries for 148 yards in the t- 23-10 win against the Broncos. And I believe that was uh, Darkwa's numbers. But, you know, the Seahawks have some studs on that defensive line. They've got guys like Michael Bennett, Sheldon Richardson from the Jets. He's doing well out there. They have Cliff Averill. They have Bobby Wagner. Their total defense, the Seahawks, is ranked 15th in the league, middle of the pack. But their defensive line is ranked second, number two, in the league. Giants offensive line, 25th in the league. That is my number one matchup. Defensive line of the Seahawks versus uh, offensive line of the Giants, which we know does their best impression of Swiss cheese every week. Um, in in that sense, I think the the Seahawks have that advantage. The Seahawks also need to minimize their turn- turnovers. Both Landon Collins and Janoris Jenkins each had an interception last week against the Broncos. Russell Wilson, three interceptions on the season only. He finds himself throwing the ball more than usual with a weak running game this year. On the season, he's got 12, uh, 1,222 passing yards with a 62.4 completion rate. He's always a threat to run, too. So if he can break a few effective runs, he's going to force the Giants to use a spy defender on him and maybe open up some holes downfield, and that's something that the Giants do not want. Uh, Last year and this year, the Giants do not defend against the tight ends too well. So uh, in that sense that the Seattle Seahawks need to take advantage of Jimmy Graham uh, uh, with Jimmy Graham, use him as, as often and as uh, advantageous as they can. The opposing team's tight ends this season are averaging six catches and seventy, just about 71 yards and 1.16 touchdowns per game against the Giants. It was the same story last year, as I said. And uh, Jimmy Graham this year has 21 catches, uh, 179 yards and one touchdown. He's 6-7, and I think he's going to be a big factor in this game as well. My prediction, oh, this is tough. I didn't think about this yet. I want to think about uh, the defensive line just causing fits for Eli Manning today. But if he can get the running game going, if the Giants can get the running game going, and by the way, Ben McAdoo has officially relinquished play calling uh, for his offense. He is no longer the Giants head coach slash offensive coordinator, thank God. 
he's going to be sticking to be a head coach, and I just think that head coaches should be head coaches. The whole team needs them. If you wanted to be an offensive coordinator, or if you want to be one, you should just stay as an offensive coordinator, in my opinion. Who do I have today? Uh, well, the Giants are at home. People are going to be really hyped that they won last week. I'm going to go Giants. I'm going to go Giants. I'm writing this down. Over Seahawks. Uh, it's going to be real close, though. I think it's going to come down to a, a field goal, final field goal. I think the Giants are going to defeat the Seahawks 24-21. Go ahead and lock that in. <laughs> oh, I hope I'm right. I'm going to be there, so I hope I'm right. After the break, I'm going to take your phone calls. And uh, with the, the answer to the question of do the overperforming Jets have what it takes to beat AFC East rival Miami Dolphins today. They've already taken one on the season, uh, in the season series. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, and uh, I'll take your calls after the break. This, this is iHeartRadio. iHeartRadio. iHeartRadio makes you want to move. When you have a great melody, a song can last forever. Instantly connected. I love it when the beat goes. Radio is the way I get to you. The biggest song, the biggest artist, all in one place. iHeartRadio. I'll see you there. I'm Jamal Adams, safety of New York Jets. You are listening to Daniel McCartney on 60 Minute Overtime. Yes, the New York Jets are going to Miami. That's uh, Will Smith. The song is called Miami. It is a sunny 86 degrees in Miami right now. Yes, right now. Precipitation percent is 20. Humidity is 75%. Oh, what a beautiful weather in Miami. It's also Muhammad Wilkerson's 28th birthday. I think you might know what happened the last time Muhammad Wilkerson had a birthday with the New York Jets. They made a beautiful cake. He didn't show up. He hit the clubs hard the night before. And he had a real dismal game the following day. I hope that's not a repeat for this year. Nothing really has changed. The coach is still the same. Maybe the guys around him have have drastically changed. But listen, I just hope Muhammad Wilkerson could uh, celebrate his birthday on a different night other than the night before a game. Point spread on this game is uh, the Jets are are three-point underdogs to the Miami Dolphins. Uh, The Jets, like I said, before the break, they won their first matchup of the season. And that's the game I had the Dolphins in my survivor pool, so let's not go there. Jets keys to the game. Listen, the secondary has been, I'm going to give them the grade of pretty good. Buster Screen had a great game last week. Jamal Adams, Marcus May, the two rookies, they are up to task. They really are. Pro Football Focus, though, ranks uh, Jamal Adams as below average and Marcus May as average on the season. Maybe they're just standing out. Because the Jets' defense is so poor. The Jets' defense is ranked dead last after after last week. So maybe they're just two average players standing out on a very, very dismal defense. Who knows? Uh, I, I do like to think that Adams and May, as rookies, have made quite a jump. 
from college ball to to the NFL. So uh, their secondary has to has to be good and take away the options and the reads for uh, for quarterback Jay Cutler and and Jarvis Landry. They, they got to get rid of Jarvis Landry. They got to neutralize him somehow. Josh McCowan. Uh, he's the fourth most sacked quarterback in the league, the Jets quarterback. He's got 19 sacks in six games. That's a lot. That's fourth most, honestly. And how will it will stand Miami's defensive line? They have monsters on that defensive line. Cameron Wake and Sue, most notably. And they, both of them together, if you remember last year, last time they played, uh, I believe it was in Miami. Actually, maybe it was in my life. They sandwiched quarterback Bryce Petty on December 17th of 2016. They knocked him out of the game. He had a chest bruise. These guys strike fear in opposing quarterbacks. I wouldn't be surprised if Josh McCown last night woke up in a cold sweat after having a nightmare about Wake and Sue. Honestly. <laughs> uh, I just don't see how the Jets' offensive line is going to uh, contain not one, but both of them. I think the Jets need to come out like a fast start like they did against the Patriots. It was surprising to see them up 14 nothing at the end of the first quarter, but they didn't do anything after that, the Jets. Uh, so I just think uh, a fast start would be advantageous to them, and, but they have to st- sustain that momentum throughout the, the rest of the game. McCown and the Jets, I thought about this. I think that they need to get a game plan down, a nice sequence for their opening drive. They need to have play mistake-free, and I'd like to see the Jets and we'll see if it happens, go no huddle in the first drive, and, and as long as they can sustain that, because it would force the Dolphins to have uh, some personnel groups that maybe or may they may or may not want on the field, uh, and the Jets can take advantage of that. So I would like to see the Jets go no huddle. I would like to see it up-tempo, fast. It is hot in Miami. Defensive players do get worn down, not to mention, not to say that nobody else does, but in an up-tempo, fast offense, I'd like to see that, and I'd like to see the result of that. I think if you, uh, like I said, catch the Dolphins with an unfavorable package on defense, I think uh, that'd be quite advantageous, especially with Austin Safari and Jenkins. The Dolphins, I, I don't think, and their quarterback by Jay Cutler, I don't think they're going to recover if the Jets uh, have a fast start and sustain it. Jay Cutler, guys, isn't Tom Brady, and the Dolphins aren't the Patriots. I hate to break that to you. Uh, the ways the Dolphins are going to win this game, their defensive line, of course. They're going to pressure and force McCown to throw the ball away like he did versus New England. In that game, McCown was a completion percentage of 65.96. That's a very exact percent. Two touchdowns and two interceptions. And they were uh, they were big ones because the Patriots were able to put some points on the board uh, based on his turnovers. I think the, f- the one was uh, the interception right before the half. The Miami defense produces a turnover ratio of negative two. They have 12 total sacks, four forced fumbles, and one interception. I think they're going to cause fits for the Jets and, and the offensive line. The Dolphins, though, don't have a run game. Jai, where are you? I think, though, this is going to be his breakout game. He has uh, only 391 total yards in the season, 3.8 yards a carry. The first meeting against the Jets, he had 1.5 yards a carry. Last week versus Atlanta, though, he's breaking out of his slump. He's up to five yards to carry, but he does have zero touchdowns on the season. So anybody that has J.H.I. in their fantasy league, I'm sure, aborted him long ago. The Jets are allowing 140 rushing yards a game, just about, and five yards to carry. So that fits in right with J.H.I. I just think if that the, uh, the Dolphins utilize him like they did last week, it's going to be fine because it'll still 
it, it's still present. He's still present in the game. But Jay Cutler is going to have to win this game with his arm. Uh, the Jets, uh, oh, I'm sorry, Jay Ajayi has, he's the, th- by the way, he's the third highest graded running back in the league, pro football focus. He's got an 85.8. In my line of work, that's a B. He's behind Kareem Hunt and Devontae Freeman. Devontae Freeman is on my fantasy team. First round draft pick, just just uh, throwing that out there. The Dolphins, Jay Cutler needs to target Jarvis Landry. He's going to be matched up versus Buster Screen. Although he had a good game last week, he's ranked 41st. Out of 53 cornerbacks in the league. Yep. He's tied for the uh, the guy from the Eagles for the most receptions out of the slot, Jarvis Landry. Uh, I want to pronounce that guy's name is Nelson Algahor of the Eagles. And Jarvis Landry have the most receptions out of the slot. That's going to be tough. That's going to be tough to cover. He's had a touchdown two consecutive games versus Atlanta, which is that's a stifling defense, and versus the Titans. So uh, my prediction... I, uh, I'm i going to go Dolphins again. I'm going to go Dolphins over the Jets. I think it's going to be a uh, wild game. I think it's going to be 35. Dolphins 35. Jets 17. Lock that in. Dolphins over the Jets 35-17. Again, that point spread on that game was only three points. Uh, I just think that Josh McCown's going to be on his butt more and his back more than he's going to be on his feet today. And that's just a credit to, to Wake and Sue and that defensive line of the Dolphins. All right, uh, I just want to thank you guys for spending your Sunday morning with me. I want you to enjoy your football Sunday as best you can after that Yankees loss. Uh, I know it's tough. I really don't think you should be looking to next year just yet. Uh, I just think that the Yankees just had it. They had it, and they had it, and they had it. And they had it in Game 2. Like I said, when Sanchez dropped that ball behind the plate and Altuve came in and scored. What are you going to do? Dolphins, Astros. I didn't make a prediction on this. I haven't really gotten a chance to look at it yet. Uh, I don't want to make a call. I'm leaning towards Astros. I think it's going to be maybe a six-game series. I'm leaning towards the Astros in six. Ah, I said it. I might change that, though. I might amend that uh, if I get some more time. Someone's, uh, oh, my dad is hoping for a big blue comeback today. Uh, We'll see about that. I don't know. Uh, But... That does it for today. I'm going to see you guys next Sunday, 11 a.m. Eastern Sharp. I'm going to shout out where you can find my work in the meantime. If you cannot possibly wait till next Sunday, prosportsrundown.com. I answer every single person on Twitter, at Coach McCartan. YouTube search Coach McCartan. SoundCloud.com slash Coach McCartan. On demand, as soon as I edit this, it's going on iTunes. iTunes podcast, Coach McCartan. Type in the, the search bar over there on the, on the Apple Store, iTunes Store, whatever it's called. Tune in radio. You're going to type in 60 Minute Overtime, the show's name, and play.google.com. You're going to search Coach McCartan with no space. Thank you for you guys on Periscope. Thank you for you guys on Paris, uh, on Facebook Live. We'll see you guys next week. Have a good day. Have a good week. Follow me on Twitter at Coach McCartan. That's at Coach M C C A R T A N. To find my work on YouTube and SoundCloud, search with no spaces Coach McCartan. Subscribe yourself so you don't have trouble finding it in the future. That's it for today, everybody. Listen live next Sunday, 1.30 to 2.30 p.m. 